and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. 
This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. So that's a video from what's called the Bible Project. If you guys are interested, you can find them on YouTube. They have a ton of great stuff that they put together. And uh, so we just stole it and we're using it. Uh, they actually distribute it for free and, and say, use it and do whatever you can. So really great guys. Um, have you ever asked yourself the question, isn't there more joy in life than I'm experiencing? Or how about, will this Christmas time be a time of joy for you? I, I've been lacking joy in my life. At first it was sort of a vague uneasiness that one day became a stabbing conviction while I was reading Psalms 5, 11, and 12, which said, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord, and you surround them with your shield of love. That all who love your name may be filled with joy. That really irritated me when I read that. I wrote in my journal, where is joy to be found? I wasn't, that was not my experience. And I wrote, am I just a busy letdown of a washed up father and husband? It was very frustrating for me, this disconnect between what I'm reading as the truth of God's word and what I'm experiencing in my life. I recognized that my walk with Jesus did not look like this, especially that word joy stabbed me in that sentence. And then, of course, as things work out, I have to preach on joy in the Advent series. And I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be doing this. Bob Chin backed out. <laughs> See, God was using him. That all who love your name may be filled with joy. That triggered my frustrated journal entry. And since my sabbatical, really, I've been unsatisfied with my relationship with Jesus. The Bible seems to indicate that there's more joy, that there's more connection, that there's more life to be found in Christ than I feel like I'm experiencing. This really is a product of a couple years as I begin to dig into this, of a process God has put me through, through our, our network. We did a strong leader cohort in this area for two years through uh, Washington Institute for Leaders. Chris Milheiser helped organize and, and put together and through our, the godly elders that we have who were able to speak into my life. Jesus has lovingly and gracefully sustained my weakness and helped my hunger for him to grow. I let myself become distracted and busy and caught up in, in the things of this life seeking the false joy that just doesn't last. I, I led my family in rhythms of this false joy of just getting home and just vegging out and streaming something and watching, you know, TV is what we used to call it. Now we, we stream stuff, uh, in case you're not following me. I, I just, I def, I'll default and just sit there and turn something on, even over the protests of my loving wife, who would want our family to connect in other ways. 
I've not been steady in my personal devotions, my personal time with Jesus. Instead, I rationalize that I study the word all the time. That's good enough. It's the, it's the preacher's pitfall. It's like saying, well, I teach on nutrition, so I don't have to eat. So I find myself feeling disconnected from Jesus, from others. And this begins to build up and it begins to just dampen any joy in my life. I begin to call out to God for a return to the closeness and the relationship that I've had with him and walked with him in. I know that I've settled for false joy and half-hearted religion poisoned by the temporary and fleeting things of the American dream. But am I the only one experiencing this? Christmas. Christmas is the story of God breaking in and coming down and exposing the false joy of this darkness. Drowning out the sad songs of our culture. Like, I just want to use your love tonight. With an announcement. The announcement that I read in Luke. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. This is the advent of a forever joy, a fruitful joy, which purges and replaces this fading and fruitless joy in our hearts. This message is good news for all of us. Everyone here can experience and know that Jesus is bringing joy to humanity. That God in Christ is offering the free gift of eternal life to those who would accept Jesus. Our failed efforts at self-righteousness, our sin, our rebellion, are not meant for us to carry a heavy load of guilt. They're meant to drive us to understand that we need a Savior who is Jesus. That's what the story of Christmas is about. So I have three points today. False joy, forever joy, and fruitful joy. So I want to start with this false joy taken from the story of Matthew here in Matthew chapter 2 from Herod's story. This false joy, good news supplants Herod's lie. So Herod is living a lie. Herod is a puppet king under the Roman occupation of Jerusalem who basically lives a rock star lifestyle built on pursuing pleasure. Fleeting things, false joy. He lives in a house built on sand. In fact, he has two different palaces and even has a coastal party palace where he can hang out. You can read more about Herod in, 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 in the scripture if you want to find out how he lived. He has trusted in power, money, and success. But this false joy proves how false it is as soon as there's an announcement that there's a new king who's been born. This rocks Herod to the core. When the wise men show up and say, where's the king at? He says, what king? And rather than responding to this gracious announcement that God has given Herod, that there's a new king coming, a savior of the world, Herod decides, I'm going to kill him. This is the ultimate false hope, to think that you're going to prevent God's plan, to think that you're going to thwart what God is doing. If Herod had known the God of the Bible, he would know this is futile. To think of a better way, to rely on himself, to maintain his own power. 
The question for us is, are we missing the beauty of what God is doing because we've forgotten what he's capable of? Are we lacking joy in our circumstances because we believe that God would never have plans like this? If you know the Christmas story in the scripture, erase all the thoughts of silent nights and little drummer boys and and all this happiness and just peace. That is a crazy story that took place. There's a little girl who becomes pregnant by God. She has to tell her fiance, by the way, I'm pregnant now from God. That's never happened in history. So he says, okay. <laughs> and then the angel has to say, no, she, she actually is. He's like, oh, great. Okay, now what? Now take a 96-mile journey to Bethlehem and register for taxes while your wife is pregnant and she's about to have a baby. And then they show up in this town of Bethlehem and there's no place for them to stay. You've heard the story. It sounds happy when we tell it. There was no place in the inn, yay. No, they had to go to a barn with a pregnant mom and have a baby and then make a makeshift bed out of a feeding trough for the king of kings. This was God's plan. And we think to ourselves, God would never have my life going like this. We don't understand what God, what God is capable of. We really need to reflect on that Christmas story. Herod has forgotten the story. Herod is living a lie. Are we? Do we know God's plan or is it confusing us because we're, con- we're frustrated by our own expectations about what God is supposed to do and how he's supposed to work? It's amazing what God is able to accomplish and the way that he does it. Herod is living a lie because he thinks that he can claim the name of God and pay lip service, religious lip service, and then still do whatever he wants. Herod thinks he can serve God and money. Herod thinks he can serve God and power. Herod thinks he can live a life of just pursuing whatever he wants to do and then stamp it with religion. God has not called people to drag his name through the mud. God's people are called to be a kingdom of priests who walk in obedience, not sacrifice. Herod is living the Israelite dream. He's got it all. Power, money, tyranny. People are afraid of him, and he can do what he wants. But there's more to life than the pursuit of happiness. There's more to life than the American dream could ever offer. There's more to life than religion aimed at justifying ourselves. There's more to life than false and short-lived joy in material things. Is it the height of irony to say that Christmas is not about material things? Have we gotten that far down the road? It's time to shift our paradigm, to change our minds. The biblical word is to repent. We change our minds about how we're viewing the world, how we're thinking, and we, le- and we let our minds begin to align with what God says. The Bible promises a true and forever joy to all people, given as a gift of grace and offered to us today. It is Jesus, the Savior of all. He is also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is an amazing gift. Jesus has come bringing great joy because of his great sacrifice in our place. Jesus is the Savior, saving us from self-righteousness, from sin, and from death. False joy is doomed to fail because it's based on things we cannot control. Circumstances, they change. There are some things that are just out of our control. Happiness comes and goes. Emotions 
wax and wane. We cannot live by bread alone, but we can live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are made for, connection, for a connection with God and his word, and God knows that. That's why he broke in. That's why he sent the Savior. Christmas is the celebration of the good news concerning the gift of a forever joy in the place of this false and fading and fruitless joy that we pursue. This joy is God's plan for all people, that they would be reconciled, not by our own works, but by Jesus, so that we can walk in a confidence in this true source of joy, so we can have a connection to something permanent, a permanent source of joy, even in the most difficult circumstances, which is what this real, this biblical Bible story shows us. So this brings us to my second point, the forever joy that God promises. This good news of great joy that God is with us. God's the one that calls it good news of great joy. He seemingly expects people to be happy about it. Think about the relational nature of joy. Like if you receive an awesome gift. Or if you see a super funny video. Maybe that will relate to everyone else. What's the first thing you think? I got to show this to somebody, right? I got to share this. I got to text this to so-and-so. We, when things make us joyful, we just want to connect with people. And be like, hey, experience this joy with me. You know what? Jesus is no different. Jesus is filled with a powerful joy, with a forever joy that emanates from who he is, and he wants to share it. It's like the number one YouTube video ever. And he wants to share it with everyone on the planet. He wants you to experience and understand his joy. It's coming from him. It's a free gift that he wants to share. This is the good news. That God is not following us around like a micromanaging judge, ticking off all of our bad behaviors and counting them against us and punishing us along the way. He's not counting all our, all our mistakes and waiting with a grin, wringing his hands to punish us for each misstep. That's the picture that the world wants to paint of the biblical God. God is not a cosmic Ebenezer Scrooge checking all our attempts to enjoy life. The good news is that we become a family when we trust in Jesus. When we receive that good news, God brings us into his family. And God becomes a good father not some sort of detached cosmic judge. God desires that we would enjoy life to its fullest, and the way to that fullness is to know Jesus, God with us. John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says this. He gives us a picture to understand. He says, remain in me. This is where, this is where I wasn't as I was lacking joy. And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. All of us farmers think, of course. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And then he just clarifies like the clearest statement in scripture. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's it. That includes having joy. Why does Jesus encourage us to remain in him? He continues, 
Verse 9, chapter 15. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy and that your joy would be full. Your joy will overflow. Why does Jesus want us to know that remaining in him is important? So that we can have his joy. So that we can be filled to overflowing with a response to this dark world that is a non sequitur. With a response to what's going on around us that is joyful. And then people say, what is the reason for the joy, for the hope that you have within you? Are you just nuts? Like, what's what's your problem? So that we would be filled with joy. That our joy would overflow. This is not a false hope of never experiencing pain or sickness or sadness or poverty or suffering. It's the promise of a connection, of a relationship to someone who's going with us through those things. The joy of Christ is so much stronger than the temporary things that we face in this life. It can undergird and sustain us through the darkest valley. When I was growing up, I went camping with my dad and this crazy Vietnam veteran friend that he had who used to just eat live crabs off the beach and he was trying to get my brother and I to do it. <laughs> and one night we're camping and he goes, get up. And, we, and then he takes us out into the woods and he goes, go up that trail. You use your night vision. And I'm just like, I'm looking at this black hole and I see a few little trees around and I think to myself, <laughs> what tra- there's no trail and I'm not going into that into that darkness I don't care what you say he's like no you can do it you just got to get your night vision and, and this and that I'll show you guys how to do it and I'm just like huh mm-mm. I'm just he, and then he tries to give us money I'll get if you go up there I'll give you five bucks I was, I was like there's no amount right now you know in my small mind that I could calculate that would make me walk into that darkness by myself finally he says all right you guys can follow me so then I, I thought to myself all right here he is you know the green beret I, I can follow him. So I begin to walk, and he begins to go up the trail, and I, follow, I can see him. He could see the trail, apparently. He knew where he was going, and I could follow him. This is what Jesus is saying when he's promising us joy. We don't know where the trail goes. We can't see through the darkness sometimes, but we can see Jesus, and we can be with him through that. That's the promise that we have of God with us. There's dark times that we face, and Jesus says, just come with me. Jesus is not saying, I'll give you money to go by yourself, see how, see how well you do. <laughs> Time and again throughout the New Testament, the revelation of the gospel of Jesus, we're just told to rejoice. We're told to have joy. Philippians 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. Philippians 3, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, this letter to the Philippians, it's a letter that Paul wrote while he was sitting in that jail cell with the two chains on his wrist because he was chained to two Roman guards. And he's writing, rejoice in the Lord, guys. I say it again, rejoice. I wonder if the guards were looking at what he was writing, like, what are you... Romans 12, 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, always be joyful. 
These encouragements are not the Bible just telling you to turn your frown upside down. That's so stupid. Why should I turn my frown upside down? I enjoy frowning. (laughs) The Bible doesn't say it doesn't matter what you're going through. Just grin and bear it. That's fatalism. It makes nothing out of your suffering. The Bible cares. God cares about everything that you go through. Nothing that you're suffering, nothing that you're facing is outside of what God is doing in your life. He's walking with us through that and he's making it meaningful. He's making it something that is changing us and making us more like Christ. Remember the one who we follow. If you're in Christ, you're following Jesus. He went to the cross. Everyone faces your own set of challenges and God will give you the beauty, will give you beauty for ashes. He will transform you through the struggles to bring about more Christ-likeness. The good news is that God's people are called to rejoice in him and have received the gift of joy through God's empowering presence, the spirit of God indwelling us so that the joy that comes from Christ is not even something that we need to make happen through our piety or through our hours in prayer. It's something that we receive by grace alone, by faith alone, and the gift of the Spirit comes into us. When we receive Christ, we're filled with the power of God. His very Spirit then produces joy in us. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such, there's no law. Joy, the second one. It produces joy in our lives. The Holy Spirit will bear fruit in our lives of joy. And we receive this by grace. Throughout God's story, his people have learned to rejoice in the desert, like the video said. They look forward to what God was doing to accomplish the joy that comes as an act of faith and hope in the God who delivers and becomes a strength to his people. In the video, he quoted 2 Corinthians 6, where Paul, Paul is writing to a different church, and he's saying, look, here's, here's what it looks like. Here's, here's where I'm coming from. He's talking about himself. He says, we. He's talking about his team. He says, we serve God whether, our people, whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Another translation is, we are sorrowful, yet rejoicing. How can those things coexist? Because joy is not the happiness that we think it is. It's not the fleeting thing that, it's not some sort of emotional experience. Joy is something much deeper and stronger than that. I experienced it myself. Uh, a couple times. One, I was, a, I was a youth pastor, and I was dealing with, you know, the problems of youth. And one, one young person in particular was in, in, like, an abusive situation, a sad situation. And I was very sad. I was, I was, de- I was thinking about this person's situation, and, the, and it was, I was angry, and I was sad, and I was frustrated, and I was thinking, God, what can I do? Like, what needs to happen in this situation? And then I'm going to youth group, you know, and youth pastors can't be sad, right? So, uh, I go up on the stage to, to preach my youth pastor message, and Angie, my wife, is in the back row, and I don't realize it, but I'm like, I'm crying. I'm like, my face is just sad. Like my face is downcast, and Angie's in the back row going, <laughs> right? 
turn that frown upside down, buddy. This is youth group. And uh, I was just like, uh, and I, I remember looking at Angie, like, as the tears were coming, I just, I, I can't, I can't smile, Angie. I was so sad in that moment. For God was, I don't know what it was that just connected with me. And then it was at that moment that my, you know, my, my well-planned out youth group notes were set aside. God just kind of shifted gears and he said, go to Revelation chapter 21. I'm like, all right. So I go to Revelation chapter 21. One of my favorite passages of all time. But just to read verse 4, God is talking about what's going to happen. And he says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain and all these things are gone forever. And it just hit me in that moment. As I stood there crying, feeling the sadness of the moment, feeling sad about what was going on, this joy just like surrounded me. This joy was just in me that God is going to take care of this. God is going to wipe away all these tears. This is not forever. This is not going to last. God is at work. I don't need to do anything about it. Stupid things. I, I just need to trust in God. And so I stood there in this like bizarre space where Paul says, I'm, I'm sorrowful and yet I'm rejoicing. I was sorrowful and yet inside I was rejoicing that God is going to come through. That God in fact was coming through in that situation right then. It's amazing to understand the joy of God in those situations. God is helping. So the Christmas celebration is just that, a remembering of God's story, the celebration of God's gift of a Savior who is Christ the Lord, God with us. This is the good news of great joy which continues to this day. Jesus desires for us to have joy. Remember, he said, I told you these things so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be filled to overflowing. And now we come to the final part. Good news of great joy for all men. This forever joy overflows and we have more than we need so that we can share it. We can pass it on. In fact, this is why God would have us rejoice. So my last point, fruitful joy for all men no favoritism. All mankind, maybe I should say. <laughs> so Jesus is announced by shepherds and magi. The story of God culminates in the anointed king promised through all of history. And to translate into our modern day vernacular, God announces it to scumbags and foreign astronomers, foreign scientists. Why, why in the world did the angels not show up above the temple in Jerusalem? This is the center of God's worship, the center of the religion, the religious place. God goes out to the shepherds, you know, and if you think I'm trashing shepherds unfairly, just read history a little bit. They were kind of scumbags. And God shows up, all the angels show up to the shepherds out in the field. We think it's so romantic. It's not. It's not at all to any of the people that were involved in that story. When the shepherds showed up, I'm sure Joseph began to get nervous. He probably grabbed his wallet and like shoved it further down in his robe or wherever he kept it. (laughs) The shepherds weren't like the dudes that you want to hang out with. That's why they were shepherds. You know, kind of like sheet rockers. (laughs) Oh, there he is. Not good like, you know, carpenters or anything like that. 
I'm just playing, Jamie. You know, like, forgive me. I, I, I even thought of that joke while I was writing this. You know, I was hoping you'd be here today. <clears throat> God is reminding us of his plan. Think back about this plan now. That the seed of Abraham would be a blessing to every family on earth. He's not announcing it to the exclusive religious clique of Jerusalem. The plan, the plan is for all men. There is no favoritism for Jesus. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners and drunkards and gluttons and prostitutes. The beginning of this story reminds us that the joy of the Lord is to see people come into his kingdom. In fact, that's what brings joy to God. Jesus tells a story from Luke chapter 15. So Jesus told him this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he, when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's amazing. The message of Christmas is don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. God has freely given joy to the world in the person of Jesus, in the Son of God, the suffering servant who took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death. The one who took our sins upon himself because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, despising its shame in our place to reconcile all men to himself. I fully intend to reclaim that joy that Jesus has promised me and to walk more deeply and more closely with Jesus as he enables me. And I want to allow this Christmas to enable repentance in my life and the Spirit to bring about the fruit of joy in me. So that Psalm 5 encourages me rather than convicts me. When I read, let all who take refuge in you rejoice, but let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. That is a real possibility. That is a very real promise to us who would put our faith in Jesus. If you know Jesus today, there's more joy available to you. If you don't know Jesus today, there is joy available to you by trusting in his name. Jesus supplants the false joy that we pursue. He gives a forever joy, and Jesus fills us with a fruitful joy that will overflow. Amen. Father, I thank you for your great promises. I ask you today to give us complete knowledge of your will along with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we will live always and honor and please you so that our lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Father, enable us to grow as we learn to know you better and better. We also pray to be strengthened with all your glorious power so we will have all the endurance and patience we need. May we be filled with joy, always thanking you. You enable us to share in the inheritance that belongs to your people who live in the light. You rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your dear son. 
You purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward all mankind. Amen. So every week we come and celebrate. We celebrate together 